Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. We are going to take our attention and turn it towards the Word of God. So if you're following along today with our scripture, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, This week, we're drawing our series on community and unity to a close. Uh, Next Sunday, we're actually going to be starting a sermon series that I've wanted to do for a really long time. Actually, it's one of the very first sermon series that, that when I became sort of the preaching pastor here and became the lead pastor here that I've wanted to do for several years, but, but never felt like it was the right moment or the right time. And at least as of right now, I think we're there. And so next week, we're going to be starting a, a sermon series looking at one of the most unique and fascinating books in the Bible. And it's typically one that gets kind of overlooked because it's, it's so different. Um, we're going to take a look and spend a number of weeks looking at the book of Esther. And so next week, we're going to start a deep dive and, and looking and, and mining through the book of Esther together. But this week, we're bringing our look at the awkward and the essential challenge of Christian unity to a close. We've explored the priority of community and unity, both in our creation and in our calling. See, God created us to be in community. That when we look from the very beginning, all throughout the story of mankind, God created us to be in community together. We were never meant to be isolationists. We were never meant to live alone. From the very beginning, in fact, God said, it's not good that man would be alone. And so he created community. And then we see that not only were we created for community, but just in case there was any room for confusion, we were also called to be in community. But not some sort of like begrudging, well, God said it, so I guess I have to do it. I gotta go put up with these people, kind of community. But we're called to live with a deep, marked, real sense of unity inside of our community. And last week, we began to look at how we're supposed to do this. We began to look at what it means to actually live this out. So we're called to live in community, and we're called to live in unity. Well, how do we do that? And last week, we began to look at this idea of how to do that. And and we saw that that in these couple of verses in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us there's a bunch of things we got to do. And we looked at the first two last week, where, where Paul says, be completely humble and be gentle. And as we look at to understand unity, it can be easy to view unity through the lens of, well, that really depends on them. That I can live in unity, I can live in community with anybody, as long as they make it easy for me. I can live at peace, and I can live in unity, and I can live in community with anybody as long as they're the right anybody's. If they act right, I can be united with them. If we have enough in common, we can have community. We can have unity. 
But what Paul shows us is that when we look at this concept of unity, it, it doesn't come down to them. It comes down to us. It's not up to others to decide if we can live in community together. It's not up to someone else to decide if I can live in community, if I can live in unity with them. But Paul tells us that it's actually up to us. See, when we talk about being humble, what Paul doesn't say is if you want to live in community and you want to live in unity with somebody and you see them starting to act a little funny, go tell them to be humble. Paul doesn't say, you know, if you want to live in community and you want to live in unity with somebody and you see somebody acting a little funny, go tell them to be more gentle. But what Paul says is that if we want to live in community, if we want to live in unity with one another, it's up to me to be humble. It's up to me to be gentle. It's up to me how I'm going to live in community and unity with other people. See, we often want to treat unity and community like it's a question of, of someone else. But Paul says it's really a question of us, our attitude. And so today, we're going to continue looking at this roadmap that Paul gives us when it comes to unity. So if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, what we read is, this is Paul writing, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And we talked about what that meant last week. And then he says, be completely humble and gentle. That was last week. Now be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So let's go back to verse 2 to continue our list. Last week, we talked about be completely humble and gentle. And then Paul says, be patient. Patience. Last week after, uh, at church, I mentioned we'd be talking about patience this week. And I had any number of people come and say, I'm kind of nervous to hear what you're going to say about patience. Patience is a hard one. Because many of us would like to be more patient. In fact, most of us would probably say, I could stand a little more patience in my life. As, as you may know, if, 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 you're, if you're aware, my wife is, is on this Costa Rica missions trip. She's down in Costa Rica right now. And it's only been a couple of days. But the Lord is doing a deep work in my life <laughs> when it comes to patience is I am being presented with so many opportunities to grow and be patient. See, what happens in our lives, and, and this, is how, this is how I know it goes for me and I'm sure for you. When, when we want to grow in patience, what we do is we pray, God, would you make me more patient? And what happens that we want to happen is we want to go to sleep. And then we want to wake up the next morning and we're just more patient. That we've prayed, God, make me more patient. And God would say, amen, yes, here you go. And bibbidi-bobbidi-boop, and we'd wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden, I've got the patience of a saint. Look at what God did in my, isn't this, thing? I used to be so impatient. I used to be so, but you know, I had a really, I prayed, I had a really great sleep. And now look at me. Nothing gets to me. 
That that's how we want it to go. That, that when we say, God, give me more patience, that's what we want to have happen. That's how we want this to go. God, would you? Yes, here you go. But most of us know that when we pray a prayer like, God, give me more patience, God is so faithful to answer. But not necessarily in this grand deposit of faith in our lives. We pray, God, would you make me more patient? And you get stuck in traffic. And you can't get to work. And you get to work. And your annoying coworker is just around all the time. And then you come home and you're in traffic again and you come home and that thing that your husband or your wife that they can say to you that just immediately gets on your nerves, that's what you're greeted with. And your kids are loud and everything that is, we pray, God, would you give me patience? And the Lord says, I will lead you in the way of patience. And we are provided with opportunity after opportunity to grow in our patience. And it turns out that your TELUS bill is up. And so you got to call TELUS, which means you have to be on hold for five and a half hours while you're waiting. And everything that happens in your life, suddenly you are given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to learn to be more patience. See, patience is one of those virtues that can be tested at multiple times a day. It catches us in our best moods, and it hammers us in our worst. But how do we practice it? How does patience lend itself to unity? Well, Proverbs will tell us that, that patience means being slow to anger. And it means having the wisdom to not be hasty. Proverbs 14 will say, whoever is patient has great understanding. That means that they've got lots of wisdom. If you're patient, that means you're wise. But one who is quick-tempered displays fault. That the quicker we are to act, the quicker we are to respond, that, that's not wisdom. That, that patience means when we're tested, when your blood begins to boil, and you want to rush into a situation. You want to say, say something. You want to do something. You want, in the moment, I know exactly how I want to respond. Patience tells us that it's, it's always wise to take a moment to breathe. To, to gain some perspective of the moment and act in an understanding way. And, and this has benefits in all of our relationships inside and outside of the church. I'm sure all of us have had this experience where in a moment, and, and you're frustrated, and you're angry, and you say something, and as the words are coming out of your mouth, you're thinking, that was a mistake. I've just made things worse. Now i got to clean that one up too. Whereas if we just were able to take a moment and not respond and have a little patience, Maybe some of the things that we said that we shouldn't have said, we would have never said. And we don't have to clean up an extra mess. When you choose to be patient and understanding with another person, you choose peace. You choose gentleness, like we talked about last week. You choose humility, like we talked about last week. 
And in Proverbs chapter 25, it tells us something really significant about peace. It tells us that, or, through, or it tells us something about patience. It tells us that through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. What that means is you have the, through patience, you can change the whole world. And if patience has that kind of power to change the whole world, imagine what it can do in our world. Imagine what it can do for your world. That if we can just learn to, to, to take a moment, to take a breath, to not respond the wrong way, but to be patient, how much that can change our lives. If we focus on patience, as we go through our day, we can catch ourselves in the moments when we're tested and embrace how you can grow in that moment. And as we begin to live it out, we discover how it can transform all of our relationships. Now, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we work through it again, what it'll say is, be completely humble, gentle, be patient. We've talked about those things. Then it will say, bearing with one another in love. Love. Love is such a big topic in our faith that we could spend the next years looking at a biblical understanding of love, what it means to love God, what it means to love people, what it means to love ourselves. We could spend years looking at the topic of love and never really covering it all. And so we're not going to try and do that as point two in our sermon to fully understand love but what we can discover about love is that in Matthew 22, Jesus will tell us that love is such a big deal. Love is so important that if you were to take the entire law of the Old Testament, the entire story of the Old Testament, the entirety of the law and the prophets, everything God told us and everything that God told us to do, and you were to try and boil it down, you would come to one word expressed two ways. You would come to love love for God and love for people. In Matthew chapter 2 verse Matthew chapter 22 verse 36 we read this. A man comes to Jesus and he says, "Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law?" Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind." This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything, everything, everything that we are called to do and to be is based around love. Love for God and love for other people. And so as you go through life and you're wondering about what should I do? How should I act? What should I say? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I say this? Should I say that? Just ask yourself this one question. Is what I'm about to say, do, is what I'm thinking, planning, contemplating, is it going to demonstrate my love for God and my love for people? If I have a question about, should I say this? Is it going to demonstrate love for God 
Is it going to demonstrate love for people? Should I do this? Is it going to demonstrate love for God? And is it going to demonstrate love for people? And friends, do not make the mistake of thinking that it can be one and not the other. Do not make the mistake of thinking that it can be one and not the other. It is impossible to show God love by being unloving to people. It is impossible to show God love by being unloving to people. And it is impossible to show people love by leaving our love for God out of the equation. It is impossible for me to properly, really, truly, in a biblical Christian way, love someone else and leave my love for God out of it. It, it is impossible for me to say, this is an unloving thing for me to do for someone, but friends, it's loving to God, so it's okay. No, it is impossible to show God love and be unloving to people at the same time. And it is impossible to show people love by leaving our love for God out of the equation. But when we commit to loving others the way the Bible calls us, what we're doing is we're doing the most important thing that we can do on earth. It's not an afterthought. It's not something meant just for the closest to us. Love is our highest calling. And in fact, in Romans chapter 12, it will tell us this. It will say, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What this tells us is, is that we should outdo one another in showing honor, kindness, and love. The picture that I get in my mind of this is, is when you, you're walking and, and you run into you know, a good Christian brother in the hallway or a good Christian sister in the hallway. And, and you have this moment where both of you wants to be the one to get out of the other one's way. After you. No, 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 after you, no, after you, no, after, and you have this moment where you're both trying to let the other person go first because you're both trying to be good and kind and humble and loving, and so then it takes like two minutes to figure out who's going to be the one to blink and go first, and we're called to outdo one another in love, and so what that means is that I can't say I'm willing to love you as much as you're willing to love me. What that means is I can't say that. What it should be is as far as you're willing to go for me, that's my starting place. That I'm not just willing to meet you where you meet me and together we'll find this equilibrium where we love each other about the same. But instead, if I find the limit of your love, then my job is to outdo you in that. So where you stop, that's where I need to begin. And I need to take that step and say, all right, this is as far as they're willing to go. Great, now I know where to start. And I'm going to go further and further. And then when I get to a place where I'm like, I feel like I've given enough, then you look and you go, oh, now I know my new starting place. And we're going to keep going further and further and loving each other more and more and more and more because we're going to keep outdoing one another in our love for one another. Imagine 
if everyone aimed to go above and beyond in loving one another. Imagine how transformed the body of Christ would be if just this one little principle was implemented. But if we can do this, we can do this, you can do this, make a point to show love to your spouse, to show love to your family, your coworkers, your friends, and the people you come in contact with. If you can do this, if you can be a carrier of God's love, then you will be a catalyst for unity. And so Paul gives us these four things. He says, you need to be humble. He says, you need to be gentle. You need to be patient. And you need to be loving. And he says, if you can do these four things, then you will experience true Christian unity, true biblical unity. But then Paul, in case there's any confusion, in case, because, you know, one of the first things that, that we as people like to do is we like to find out what we're supposed to do, and then we like to find out how we don't have to do it. It's like when, when Jesus would tell his disciples that you need to be forgiven, or you need to be forgiving. And the first question that, that, that comes to him is like, yeah, but what if they're really a jerk? Like, how many times do I have to forgive? That's the first question that comes in. But yeah, but what about, how? like, do I really have to? And then Jesus will say, well, yeah, you need to forgive them 70 times 7. And so what, what can happen here is that we can talk about this, and I can say, we need to be humble, we need to be kind, we need to be loving, we need to be gentle, we need to be patient. But then the question comes, but how much of that do I have to do? I get that I need to do it, but, like, how much? Because some people, to live in unity with them, it's going to take a lot of effort. So do I really have to do it with them too? How much of this do I have to do? And so for this, we go back to verse, or back to verse 3 in Ephesians 4. Where we'll be reminded, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. And then Paul will go on to say this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul calls us to make every effort. How many is every? It's not a trick question. How many is every? Every is every. Every is all. Paul is telling us you need to do everything we can. That means that when it comes to community, when it comes to unity, that means that we need to be a people willing to go as far as possible with other people to keep unity. The expression make every effort. It's an intense expression. The, the Greek verb translated in the, new or in the NIV is make every effort. It's the word spudazo. And its most literal meaning is to be zealous. Now, zealous isn't really a word that we use much. If I was to gamble, I would say probably less than one of us has used the word zealous in casual conversation this week. Um, that, that's just not a word that we use. Um, but, but what it speaks to 
is both an eagerness and a willingness to get something done and working hard to do it. See, in our lives, for all of us, there are things that we, we want to do. There are things that we feel like we, we know that we should do them. We want to do them. That we know they're good. We know they're right. We know they're important. We know that we should want to do these things. I, I want to save more money. But going out for lunch today, that seems like a better option. I, I know that, that I should exercise more. But who's got the time? I, I know that it would be good for me to go to Zach's boxing small group. But did I mention it's at 6 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> there, you know, there are so many things in our lives that, that we know that we should do. And, and for all of us in different ways, I know that I should be doing that. But our knowledge of what we should be doing isn't necessarily met by our willingness to actually do it. That, that I know I should do this, I know I should do that, whatever it may be, but where it's not always met with like, and so I do. Sometimes it's met with, yeah, I know, maybe tomorrow. But on the flip side of that, all of us as well have some things in our lives that maybe we're not so excited to do, but we know that we have to expend the energy to do it. Maybe tomorrow morning you have to get up for work. And when you get up for work in the morning, the moment your feet hit the floor, your response isn't, yes, another beautiful day at work. Woo, this gets my blood. Let's get to work. I can't, I don't, I'm going to skip breakfast and I want to get there early. This is going to be, this is the best. I get to go to work. I, yes, I love work. Woo. Maybe for the most of us, we have a moment where we wake up and somehow internally inside of us we have a moment where please let it be Saturday, please let it be Saturday, please let it be Saturday. Darn, it's Monday. All right, here we go. But we do it. But, but we say, but I'm going to do this. And as we talk about spudazo, what that is, is it's the moment where those two things meet. It's the moment where our desire is met with our willingness to act. That moment where we really want to do something. And then we go and we do it. A good word for it would be a passion. That you want it. You want it so badly and you're willing to do whatever it takes to do it. And then you actually do it. And this is what Paul tells us our attitude towards unity is supposed to be. That when we're, when we're called to be loving and we're called to be humble and we're called to be patient and we're called to be gentle... Our, our heart should be, I want to be those things so badly, and so I'm going to go do them. At whatever the cost, I'm going to go and do this. What Paul is calling us to do is to have a deep, burning desire inside of us for unity and be willing to do whatever it takes for us to get there and to stay there. 
Let's look at it this way. Jesus called 12 disciples, but I want to focus on two of them. First, a fellow named Simon. Now, Simon, um, when I say Simon, if you're familiar with Jesus' disciples, you may be thinking Simon Peter. It's not that Simon. Um, This Simon also went by another name, and, and the other name he went by was Judas. Now, when I say Judas, you may be thinking of a specific Judas. It's not that Judas either. This disciple had, had, had the, whatever, the blessing, the infamy, the dis, whatever, of having, going by two different names, and they just happened to be the names of two of the most famous disciples. So, there's this other fella named Simon, this other fella named Judas, and what you need to know about him is that he was what was conventionally known as a zealot. And what that means is that he hated Rome with a burning, fiery passion that would manifest itself in violence. He, he, he was a, a, like a terrorist to the state. Like he was willing to do whatever it took to overthrow Rome, including violence, including murder. He would do whatever it took to do something to Rome. His life was dedicated to that. And Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. And do you know who else Jesus called to be his disciple? A fellow named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And what a tax collector was, was a tax collector was a Jewish person who collected money from the Jews to give to Rome. Now, if you were to ask someone like Simon, who is the worst of the worst, if, you were to, if there was anybody that could be lower than a Roman, it was a Jew who worked for the Romans. But friends, do you know what we never read about in the New Testament? The murder of Matthew. We don't ever read about Simon discovering, you're a tax collector? Well, now I know what I gotta do. And friends, I'm sure It took a lot of effort on Simon's part and a lot of time spent with Jesus to help him understand, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to live with that? How am I supposed to share community with him? There's only a few of us here. How am I supposed to be with them? But when we understand that even in Jesus' disciples, he was showing us the importance and the prevalence of unity, we can understand how it matters to us. And see, sometimes we, we can think that unity and community is something that simply happens or it doesn't. You know, it's just a feeling that I get. It's just sort of this like ethereal other thing that takes place. This idea that exists above us and, and beyond us. That either I, I feel community or, or I don't. But what we discover as we look at what God created us for, as we look at what Jesus has called us to do, as we look at how Paul describes how we're supposed to walk this out, we discover that community that unity, it's not meant to be something that just 
sort of happens or it doesn't. It, it, that it's not really up to us, that we, we just either we're feeling it or we're not. We, we discover that we don't have the ability to sit back and say, you know, disunity is, is unfortunate, but just the world we live in. The, the church is fragmented, but, but we'll just have to wait for a better day. See, our unity, it's, it's not based on shared cultures, personal interests, or personal tastes. Because if it was, the world can do that. The world can divide itself up about, with all kinds of different things. But what we're called to is to have all of our shared cultural experiences, all of our shared personal interests, all of our, our personal tastes, as, as individually as they may be and as unique as they may be and in ways that would divide us up if we didn't have Jesus, but we are supposed to put Jesus above all of those things. Because our unity is based on something much deeper and more profound. We're not together simply because we have so much in common, but because of who we have in common. And sometimes, Jesus may be the only thing that connects us. That there may be other Christian believers, even people in our church, that you may look at and go and say, I literally have nothing in common with them. But we both have Jesus. And that makes them my brother. That makes them my sister. I want to close by, by highlighting one last thing for us. Uh, when we talked about during communion, we talked about Jesus when he was with the disciples sharing that meal together. After that meal, they go to a garden and they go to pray in this garden. And Jesus, in John, we have this record of Jesus praying in this garden. And so this is hours, if not minutes, before he's about to be arrested. And, and what we have transcribed in the book of John is, is Jesus' prayer. And when he prays, one of the things that he prays for is he prays for you. He prays for us. He prays for his church. He prays for all of his followers that would come. For, for all of these years since Jesus was here, he prays for us. And there's a couple things that he prays that I just want to highlight for you. First, in John 17, 23, he prays this. They may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus will say that if, as we're brought to complete unity we actually become Jesus' testimony. We, we become Jesus' credibility. That he will say, as they're brought to complete unity, the world will know that Jesus was sent by God because of us. With so much division over so many things, Christians' ability to be united, even when we're not the same, it's what sets us apart, and it becomes our testimony to the world, and it becomes Jesus' testimony to the world. As we experience God's love for us, it leads us to love one another with pure, unselfish motives. We stop trying to push ourselves to the top and begin submitting to God and even begin submitting to one another. And when we as brothers and sisters in Christ live in unity, people take notice and what they see is Jesus. Jesus. 
I want to close our time with just one last verse this morning. In John chapter 17, a couple verses earlier, actually, he will say that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for each one here that's my brother, each one here that's my sister. God, I'm so grateful that you have called us, you created us, you have placed us in community with one another. God, I'm so grateful for the community of Hillside Church. I'm so grateful for my brothers and my sisters. And God, I pray that we, that I, would steward the gift that you've given us in our church family well. God, I pray that we would be able to be humble. I pray that we would be able to be gentle, that we would be able to be patient, that we would be able to love one another. God, I pray that you would help us to do it with everything we have in us. And God, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here. God, may that be our heart. God, may we not buy into the idea that we need to only go so far. May we buy, not buy into the idea that I will love them if they love me. But God, I pray that we would buy into the idea that you have created us and called us and purposed us to love one another. And God, I pray that we would be a people who above all else choose, desire, want, and chase after unity. God, you've called us to live together in community. And so would you empower each one of us to live it out in our lives. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I'm so grateful for our church family. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When your week feels like a beat down. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Don't stay buried in that grave. If you can't roll the stone, you can't see the darkness running. Might feel like pride, but your Sunday's coming. There's a new life and you can breathe.
daddy's struggling to make ends meet. Your son is 